the Let's Talk Business podcast, we have a very special guest. So got my man, James Martin, the, the man, the myth, the legend behind the Dentist to Invest Facebook group and podcast. So we've, we've switched the table, switched the roles, switched the mic on, on James. So he's the man behind the mic. He's going to be doing the bulk of the talking and uh, it'll be me asking the Uh-oh. questions. So uh, it's probably a, probably a somewhat unique position for you to be in, James, but I'm going to first off introduce yourself, my man. Oh, thank you, my man. One, thank you so much. You know what? I actually, I actually, I feel, I feel comfortable in both roles a little bit because having been, having been the host, right, where you're behind the camera, you got a lot more to think about in term in terms of choreography and what you have to do. Whereas being the guest is pretty chill. You just get to shoot from the hip and say whatever the hell you like. And then the host has to deal with it. But of course, I'm going to be super nice today because you were a great guest on my podcast and I'm here to return the favor. So I hope that hopefully some people have heard of me who listen to the podcast. If they have, maybe they have, maybe they haven't. If you have, you'll know that Dennis Who Invest is my baby. It all started from a Facebook group that started way back when. I know this podcast is a little bit about the journey, our journey, and how we got to this point. So I'm going to remain tight-lipped on that for the moment. For those who have yet to meet me, shout out to you guys. I hope you're having a wonderful day, wherever in the world you are. So I'm a dentist. I am probably similar to a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast. If that is your target market, of course, Bilal. This is for everyone. So it's more about more about a journey. It's more about a thought process. So it's taking taking yourself out of a comfort zone, turning what you love into a business and making money from it. And Ooh. yes, our demographic is dentists, but this is this is open for everyone. Cool, man. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, so shout out to the dentists who are listening. So basically I am obviously from that background myself. So I qualified in 2016. I always had a keen interest in finance and then through a series of events in my life, some that were good, some that were not so good at the time, it pushed me out of my comfort zone to create a Facebook group centered around my dual passions, one being dentistry, the other being finance. That Facebook group got a little bit of, it made a little bit of headway, got a little bit of, well, people people joined it, you know, got a little bit of momentum is a good word and it became a community on Facebook. And for anybody who is a dentist out there who's into finance, it became, I suppose, a resource for them to go to and enhance their knowledge and bolster it. Or even if they'd yet to understand how that would be helpful for them, it became a resource that could teach them these things to get them off the ground. And then within about six months of starting that Facebook group, my heart was just not quite in dentistry as much anymore. And I'm the sort of person, if I'm going to commit to something, I want to do it with 110% intensity. And I know that commitment, I know that being good at something is directly a product of how many hours and effort that you put into it. So I wanted to take my energy, take my hours, take my effort and put it into this thing that I'd created and see where it goes. And within, and uh, yeah, sorry, that was that was about two years ago. And I haven't really looked back since. Uh, I, I now, I, I, I down tools clinically, as I say, six months into the creation of the group. And that was, and then I left dentistry about two years ago in total to run the group full time, the Facebook community. Good man. So let, let's start from the top then. So how did you find dentistry? What what made you get into dentistry? How did I get into dentistry? So interestingly, um, my cousin was a dentist whenever and whenever I was about 17 or 18 and we had to make that decision what we we're going to put on our UCAS forms I didn't really know what to do so I remember I went to her for some guidance and she was a third year dentist at that point so I didn't really go in there to that conversation with any expectation but of course when someone has proceeded down a certain path whether they intend to or not they're inevitably going to give you advice from that perspective, which guides you down that path as well to a greater or lesser extent. And so for me, that just so it just so happened that she was in the dentistry, that person that I went to for guidance, who was a little bit further along that journey in terms of careers than me in terms of, in terms of life experience. And she said, you know, James, you should really think about dentistry. It's a good job. You get to talk to people a lot, which is something that I know that you enjoy. You get to build rapport with your patients, which is a little bit on, which is a little bit less like a doctor. Are you with me? Because doctors, they kind of come to see the doctor every once in a while. Maybe GPs get that rapport built with those individuals because they see each other a little more frequently. Hospital doctors, not as much. 
And as well as that, she said, the big bonus is that you get to choose your commitment in terms of work-life balance because you get to pick your hours rather than having to work on call or at least most dentists do anyway, certainly general dental practitioners. So therefore, in that respect, that is also something which is a huge perk. So she said, you should really think about it because what it means is it marries together these things that you love. You love talking to people, you love art, you love science, puts them all into one profession. And it means that you have an outlet which allows you to express all of these traits or abilities that you have. Do you not think it's insane how at 16, 17, you're asked to make decisions that are going to impact the rest of your life? Hell yeah. Well, everyone says that, don't they? You know? But here's the thing. To any 16, 17-year-olds or flipping 30 and 40-year-olds or 50, or whatever the hell, right? You know, there's only there's only one thing worse, okay, than feeling that you ha- you're obliged to stick within a certain career path, a career path that you may have selected when you had much less known information about the world, right? There's only one thing worse than sticking with it, okay? And that thing is, when you keep giving time to that, when you keep proceeding down that path, when you basically sacrifice your whole life, to remain aligned with that decision, to because you feel that you have some Einstein obligation or duty. Was it it Einstein? Was it Einstein that said the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result? Certainly somebody clever. I might have made made that up. So, you know, growing up for us, it's you had the cousin that was a dentist that could chivvy you along that path. But if your cousin had been an architect, could that have swayed your decision? If your cousin had been a civil engineer, would that have swayed your decision? I would say, I would say, yeah, because you're so, your mind is so malleable at that age, isn't it? You're so open to suggestion. Are you with me? And you're, you, you just have not got as much wisdom as you do as you continue through life through definitions. So you're making this decision from a position which is not as informed, nearly as informed as it could be, which has this huge bearing on the course of the rest of your life. But here's the thing. I'm saying all these things, but I never actually disliked dentistry at any point. I never fell out with it. There are lots of people out there who do feel that way. And there's lots of people who love it as well. You know what I mean? The key thing is happiness, is deciding what is fun for you. Because feeling like you have to stand by a decision that you made when you're 17 for the rest of your life and compromising your happiness is a really, really, really horrible place to be, particularly when there's so many amazing things that you can do in this world. And money is money is way down the list in terms of importance whenever it comes to making a decision, to, to making the decision to continue with a decision like that. Because happiness is a hugely, hugely, hugely important thing. We only get one life. We really only have so much time. And I, I really think something that scares me every day you know, it's how little time I have to do the things that I want to do on this earth. That's a personal thing, you know, and that's from the well, we were just, perspective of a 30 We were just old, saying, never that, mind, further down the line. So, so we were just saying before we started shooting the podcast was I turn 37 next week and uh, you're 31. You know, what I wouldn't give to just unwind the clock slightly and with the knowledge I have now, and and make makes make some differences. You know, I was employed and now self-employed, and it's the best thing I ever did. You know, the, the the balance. So just sort of echoing that that sentiment. When did you feel your happiness was being compromised as a dentist, and what made you then venture down that new path? Okay, so when I was in dentistry, I gave dentistry in terms of a score out of ten, in terms of happiness and satisfaction. I would say I give dentistry eight out of ten. So it was okay. It wasn't like, whoa, I would do this for free. This is incredible. You do meet some people out there who feel that way, which is fine, which is great. And I'm happy for them, right? And ideally, that's how we should feel about our profession. Realistically, probably not going to be the case for everyone, right? But anyway, 8 out of 10 for me. But I, my logic was, oh, okay, wow. So 8 out of 10 is probably as good as it gets for a job. Hey, because my logic was, hey, it could be seven out of 10. It could be six out of 10. It could be five, whatever, right? Five should be the average. By definition, it's like right in the middle, right? Seven out of 10 is really what people use as an average, okay? But anyway, but whatever 
whatever you want to decide your average is, right? Eight out of 10 is still pretty good for a job, right? So I was pretty happy doing it. And sometimes I come home from clinic, I do the crown prep, whatever. And the crown prep would be like, oh, wow, Picasso. Yeah. And I thought that was flipping amazing. That would give me such a high and a buzz, right? But then again, the issue with dentistry is here's the one kicker for dentistry for me. And that was that even if you did a really, really, really good job, the patient could just decide they didn't like what you did for some completely capricious random reason. They were having a bad hair day and they took it out on you, even though your dentistry was phenomenal, right? Which happens from time to time. And also, obviously, you know, as we go through our careers, we are savvier with patient selection in terms of what treatments we offer uh, on, you know, based on patient factors. And to, to learn that lesson, I feel that every dentist has to learn that lesson the hard way, don't they? And those are tough days. Those are tough days. And dentists listening to me will be able to relate to that. So I always thought, okay, well, you know, this is as good as it gets. You just have to put up with this stuff, right? Um, and then basically, I had a hiatus out of dentistry because I had this knee injury and I couldn't go to work. I couldn't walk for a period of time. Well, I did. I tried to go back to work, but it was a terrible idea because I, my logic was, well, I'm just going to be sat in this chair all day using the foot pedal. I'll be okay. But it didn't really quite work out like that. So anyway, I had to take this three month period out of dentistry to allow it to heal my knee after this surgery that I'd had. And then I thought to myself, okay, let's just use this time fruitfully. Let's just not sit around feeling sorry for myself. So that was when I actually started the Facebook group and that opened my eyes to this whole other dimension of things that I could do in terms of activities, in terms of potentially creating a business, so many things. And those were things that I was just not aware about beforehand. So it really opened my eyes and it really made me realize that actually I wasn't married to dentistry in terms of it being a profession and a source of income, a source of cash flow. I realized there was actually a million more things that were out there, not just investing. I'm talking about business. So let's talk about, let, let, let's go down that path. So it's almost how knee surgery led to financial freedom. It's sort of, it, it, it's these eureka moments where you've got the time, you've got the brain space, you've got the capacity to think um, where you're outside of your comfort zone and you know, you, you, took, you took the plunge. So let's, let's, before we get into the group, let's talk about your relationship with, with money. Let's talk about your relationship, you know, dentistry as a business. Did you approach dentistry as a business or did you approach it like a job? I, oh, a job or a business? You know, you know, that's a great question because I don't actually feel like I had that mindset as much back then when I was in dentistry. I, you know, the thing about it is, you know, there always had to be that human element to it. That's the most important thing for me. That's the biggest priority, right? But here's the thing, right? I genuinely feel that people who serve people to the highest standard are remunerated the best anyway, by default, okay? So actually those two things, if you ask me and my philosophy, they're actually the same damn thing, okay? But I don't even know if I'd made that connection at that point. I was just like, right, let me just do an amazing job at dentistry. Let, let me become as good as I can possibly be in terms of my skill. And then, well, at that point, that will give me great satisfaction and everything else will flow from there, hopefully. So I have, um, I have a bit of a bugbear with this, and I think I echo this sentiment quite a lot, is dentistry as a business is one of probably one of a handful of industries where you're self-employed, you are your own business, but you don't really have to find your own business. You, you can rock up, you're, you're almost a franchisee at dental practice as an associate is someone, you're at the mercy of that franchise model that says if you work at a really efficient dental practice, who's really good at marketing, who's really good at, you know, putting the right patients in the chair, has a good treatment, a good patient flow, you'll make a lot of money. And you'll make a lot of money almost by accident because you're, it's, it's running through uh, and, and someone's filling your diary. But if that practice wasn't, wasn't to exist for whatever reason, and then you went to another practice, would you still make the same amount of money? Or are you at the mercy of that practice? So when I asked the question about, did you approach dentist business? It's somewhat of a loaded question because it's something I'm quite passionate about, which is why really this podcast exists, is there's a massive opportunity with what you've said is, as long as you're providing the best patient care and the best patient outcome, then you, the money will come. But the, the bit about treating it as a business is, 
How do people know where to find you? How do you market yourself? How do you market your skills? How do you showcase your work? So when, whenever we have these questions, particularly about dentists who then want to go into a dental practice and own their own practice, the first question I ask is, who's going to put your bums in your chair? You said something really interesting here. Okay, so here is something that I learned way after I'd left clinical dentistry, right? Basically, it's a really nice systemized approach to look at any business so you can figure out what's working and what's not working. But here's the thing. You don't need to appreciate this fully if you're in a practice like the one that you've just described because patients will come to you and you just have to treat them. You just have to be the good dentist. You don't have to think about the bigger picture of the business as such. So what do I mean? Okay. So there's actually three parts to any business on the face of this earth, three fundamental parts that you can basically distill anything that you do in your business down into one of these three concepts. Okay. This is interesting, right? So we got the marketing process, which is awareness effectively. How do we let people know what we do? The more people that know what we do, the more people know where to find us. It's just flipping basic. Are you with me? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the fundamentals of human interaction. We have to be in someone's psyche for them to even come to us. We'd have to know who we are and what we do, right? Marketing. Number two is the selling process. So when they come to us, they've heard about us. We have to be able to explain to that particular individual how we can help them if we feel like we can help them because maybe we don't, right? Patient selection, you know, and then in that case, they go to someone else, right? The money is just the thing that facilitates us to help them because naturally we've got overheads. There has to be some means of transaction. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Marketing over here. Sales is the next part. Then you got the product, which is when they come on board. So when they come on board, now it's our job as a dentist to give them the most unbelievable experience that no matter what they invested in us in the selling part, that we just flip and knock their socks off and it looks like the best money they've ever spent. And they'll, they'll always be thrilled. They'll always be happy. That's the theory anyway. So our job is to be the best product that we possibly can. Now, our product... What most dentists say is the most important part of the product is the technical side of dentistry because, well, exactly, I can see you shaking your head. On Instagram, those are the pictures that we all get excited about, right? Lovely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when they got the retractors in and you can see lovely aligned teeth, aligned bleach bond, that's like the the porn in dentistry, right? Instagram porn. Are you with me? So for for those, for dentists, right? We'll look at that and think, oh, my God, that's amazing. That's so cool, right? And we place so much precedence on that being the most important thing about dentistry. Here's the thing. When's the last time on Instagram that you saw a filmed patient-dentist interaction that went really smoothly, okay? Or a painless injection. How about that, okay? Yeah. Or a really nicely handled TCO appointment. It's just, it's not. What I'm getting at is, those don't make for very good, what do they call the little carousels? They don't make for good carousel. Are you with me? Yeah. But actually, that's what the patients really like. You know, they like that. Right. If you ask the patients what's the most important thing, the most important thing is that we're paying less when they come to the dentist. That's actually the most important thing. They rate that above everything else. They have no idea what beyond, you know, within reason, you know, they have no idea what makes a good root canal from a bad root canal. They have no idea from what makes an average aligned ABB case from an amazing ABB case, at least to a degree. Anyway, obviously there's a little bit of leeway if it's extremely. I, the layman, and and I say this constantly is, is dentists market themselves to other dentists. Yeah, and <laughs> that's actually so true. And and it's, and it's sort of a, it's a sort of virtuous cycle in that you put up a post and naturally loads of dentists follow you because dentists follow the dentist and then that's the picture that gets loads of likes so you'll just do that content again and you'll just keep doing that same content but you're then marketing your skills to people that don't who aren't going to use you whereas for, from a from a layman's perspective what i'm looking for is does this person look like the kind of person i could lay down in a chair for and open my mouth and open my mouth and let them put their hands in my mouth or does this person come across as someone who's got quite a cold bedside manner and it's probably not gonna i'm not gonna have a great experience here um, or is it, or, 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 you know, do you have the before and afters where you can see the sullen expression on the patient's face and then afterwards they're, they're absolutely buzzing and you think, no, I want that emotion because that's what you're selling. You're selling the, the result. You're selling the outcome. You're not selling the procedure as a layman. I don't really care about the procedure. I just want the procedure done. It's a formality is that if you're a dentist, I'm just going to assume you're really good at it. 
So when you get all these extra letters after your name as a layman, not really mean anything to me. But if you tell me you're a doctor, you tell me you're a dentist, I'm just going to assume you've got the skills. Now I want to know if if you can do it as pain free and as smoothly as possible, so I don't have to see you very often. Well, there you go, and that's the product, right? So that's the product side. We are the product, and our dentistry is the product. Okay, and the parts of the product that we place precedence on are not the same as the patient. They're not always aligned. It's actually very powerful when you can see it through the patient's eyes a lot more because you'll understand what will mean that patients will talk about you and say good things behind your back. And it's less the dentistry and more your manner. But anyway, where I was going with that was those are the three parts to any business. Now, here's the thing. You can be it. They don't teach you that in dental school because you don't need to know it, right? You just need to know how to do your job, right? Or, um, well... Let me let me backtrack there. How to treat the patient because that's only part of your job, really, if you think about it. Because it is a business, right? So anyway, um, you treat the patient, all right. So you the marketing and sales side of thing, things, right? The marketing may be totally out of your hands, right? And remember, any business has these three parts. Every business that's ever existed has these three parts in one shape or form or another, right? Now, if you're the dentist doing your work in your chair. Providing you're over, you know, you could, you'll be of a decent standard, hopefully, or, you know, or maybe even not that great. It doesn't actually matter. Okay. Because if there's so many people that are getting marketed to you, that there's that constant churn of people, right, then there'll always be business, right? Now, a really powerful thing that you can do is make the product so damn good that you don't actually even need marketing as much, or at least active marketing, because the patients and their word of mouth is a marketing for you. Are you with me? But you don't need to get that, okay? All you need to know is that you're a good dentist, okay? And when you're really, really, really good and you're good at the technical side, good at the patient manner side, all the things that they value too, then actually you don't even really need to be consciously aware that marketing is a thing. You just know that the compounding word of mouth effect of you being good at what you do pulls people in. Or the practice. Yeah. So that's a succinct definition of marketing though because I think what a lot of people confuse marketing with sales and they're not the same thing so what people tend to do is like they'll do a six-month campaign on instagram google or something We're like well that 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 campaign only generated x amount of pounds that was a terrible campaign but whereas marketing should should be about creating an awareness of what you do because if you're running a campaign in feb you're just the probability of having like, let's say it's an invisalign campaign or let's say it's let's say it's let, i mean let's take it out of dentistry completely let's say it's you're running a campaign to do conservatories you're assuming that people are ready to buy at that point. And the, what, what is the probability of that? People might be thinking about it, people might not be thinking about it, but you've, gave, you've given them a compelling event. You've given them a reason to think about it now. But then after that period, they never hear from you again. They don't see your brand anywhere. They don't see, they don't see you anywhere. They don't see your business anywhere. Whereas marketing should be a consistent flow of this is who we are, this is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is this. This is our work. Showcasing, not use us, use us, use us, use us. You'll just put everyone off. It's like it's like giving people sweets. If I gave you a sweet a week, they'd be like, "Ooh, thank you, Bill. Thank you for that sweet. Thank you for that sweet." But if I chucked a box of quality treats at your head, and then you're just oh, yeah, that that was unpleasant. And then, but when you do want a sweet, there's not one there. Ah, oh, okay. so it's. I keep feeding you sweets just once a week you'll be like that's a sweet it's not it's not the, not the pavlov approach but it's a similar thing that says look i do sweets here's a sweet here's a sweet these are sweets that i do and it's just giving you that information and that's that's really how my business has grown and i've been doing this we've been doing social media for stuff for like, for like three years and it just snowballs and that's where our business comes from so so i do no active marketing everything i do is passive everything i do is about love showcasing this is what we know this is what i think you need to know so a lot of it comes from altruistic reasons and that's how we got in touch initially was, uh, you know, we're getting loads of questions. A lot of my clients are saying, go speak to James and, and see what we can do then. That's, that's really how you and I got in touch. There we go. So, so just to sort of wrap that up in, in, in a succinct sort of banner. So what you're saying is it's really three steps. It's marketing. Marketing, sales, and product. And when you get those three things, you only actually realistically have to be good at one of them to have a business. Okay. Or at least you can be go- so good at one of them that it just completely outweighs placing as much importance on the other ones. Now, here's the thing. Do all of them. You know, be the best you can. But what I'm saying is that when you're that dentist in that room and you're working as an associate for someone else, you, as far as you're concerned, right, you might be selling to them and delivering the product, okay? But the marketing thing is just completely outside of your your sphere of under 
your sphere of recognition or your sphere of awareness because the practice is doing all of that for you, right? But actually, when you get this stuff, it's more empowering because what it means is that when you create a dental practice, you know the three fundamental things you have to think about. All of a sudden, you're not, you're not, you've not just got this mindset, which you, you perhaps might have had to that point, which is like, if I build it, they'll come. Because as far as you're concerned, for that whole time in your dental career, you've just sat in a room and people have come to you, okay? Because you've never thought about this stuff. You've never had to. Are you with me? Yeah? So marketing and sales product, yeah? Marketing and sales product. And basically, when you have those three things, if you do even one of them extremely well, you're good. Ideally, we need to be conscious of all of them and do a great job or at least an average job to get us at the very beginning before we get up and running to get the ball rolling of each one so that we can have a business because they're the three most important parts. Associates are probably not even aware of the marketing stuff so much. I wasn't. And, and that's what we found from a perspective is there's very little focus on, so, so the amount of conversations we have about, Bilal, I want to open up a dental practice. And the first question I ask is how much of what you generate, or, or how much of what you made did you generate? And they'll be like, very little. So how do you think that's going to be generated when you, so when you buy any business, you buy, you buy its current standing. So you buy the money it makes today, its brand, its goodwill, its marketing. That's what you buy. So any business that you purchase, you've got to level it up to make money from it because otherwise it's not worth it. And, and I think a lot of dentists approach uh, dental practices in, in, in the view of we make X amount a year, we'll make the same X amount a year as a dental practice owner, but, but we'll just pay down the debt for 15 years and now I've got a saleable asset. But you, you've just transferred one job to another. And you've not you've never taken that ownership. You're not you've not taken the entrepreneurial step that says, well, how do I get associates to run my business? So I'm still making the same amount of money, but I'm now doing nothing. And now I get to put my mind in other places. So it's almost generating that nest egg at the end. Now it's it's a well-trodden path. It happens consistently. The ones that we do it very see do it very successfully, approach it like a business. Even even the basic things like having a business plan, having a cash flow forecast, having a marketing strategy, who are you talking to, who are you who are you marketing your skills to? All of that comes down to the business element, and those are the ones that well and truly smash it. To be fair, so so just bringing this back to sort of the, the original question was your relationship with investing. So you know, we I think we all know you as a crypto guy. James 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 is the the crypto dentist. <laughs> so how how did how did you turn that? So let's talk about your, your love affair with crypto and how that turned into investing and and sort of the, the, where, the platform you, you now espouse, which is Dentist to Invest. Okay, great question. So I made the platform around about the time the crypto bull market traditionally happens, which for crypto aficionados, they'll know that it's roughly every four years. And it happens just after this event called the halvening of Bitcoin occurs. And we're not going to get into that today. But basically, it's where the software or the code architecture behind Bitcoin is programmed to half the amount of Bitcoin that is being released every 10 minutes. So all of a sudden there's a supply constriction, right? Right. Uh, this is crazy, right? People are all like, oh, Bitcoin, it just goes up and down. It's like wild. And it is wild. Don't get me wrong, right? But there is this pattern that it follows, or at least it always historically has followed until this point. Will it continue? Who the hell knows? But it has done, right? So I actually made the group and I was like, you know what? I, I This is interesting because... If history continues to pan, to pan out, as it always has done, this is actually immediately around about the time before Bitcoin goes crazy. And of course, what happened? Bitcoin went flipping nuts in 2021 and the whole crypto space went nuts, right? And then we had this really weird bull market where we had this double top weird thing. It didn't have the traditional flipping huge spike of hysteria that it did before, which caught everybody a little bit off guard. That part was not in the script, but the first part was in the script, right? So anyway, so by that logic, by that theory, we should expect that, oh, next year, actually, it's flipping next year. 2024 is going to be the next crypto bull market is, is the theory is what we would expect. Well, actually, that's not true. 2025 will be. 2024 is the halvening, and then it usually comes about seven months after the halvening, which will be halfway through 2024. But anyway, watch the space on that one. No investment advice. Don't put your house on the yeah. point. Are you with me? Right, so anyway, uh, I made the group with actually half an eye on that because I knew it was going to happen. And I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if we had a network of people who could talk about that. So how that happened for me, how I got into crypto, was way back in 2018 when I bought crypto, 
at precisely no that's not true 27 let me do the math here 20 yeah 2017 i bought crypto at precisely the wrong moment and it just went tits up it went really badly because that was the end of the previous bull market which had panned out right. as the history books that preceded it had suggested or had stated or had foretold are you with me yeah like an omen right it happened it happens every time look it up right it's called the and look, and that's not me speaking to you. That's me speaking to flipping anybody who's listening. It's called the, what isn't it? It's called the four-year cycle in Bitcoin. Check it out. Anyway, so that happened to me. I was on the wrong end of that. But I got that pain, emotional pain, out of the way in 2018. So I could understand how it worked a little bit more. And there's actually a little bit of a lesson in there that I believe in, in business and entrepreneurship, that when you're going through pain and things are not going well and you're messing it up, you're actually probably gaining wisdom. Most people seek to avoid pain. A very powerful thing to realize is that when you put yourself in a painful situation, you're learning something, right? And you never learn that thing until you go through it, right? And if you're going to make that mistake, it's better to make it soon because what happens is then you learn from it, then you're learning and the actions that you're able to implement because of that learning lead to positive change in your life and that positive change through those positive actions compounds. So you actually go places. Anyway, we're going on a tangent. But like I was saying, Bitcoin, crypto, that was how I got into it. Then I made the group and I was like, oh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes because it's come along at the right time. You know, you know, it's literally showing up at exactly the right period. Yeah, like like the Messiah. Yeah. And then what happened next? It became it became a crypto group for a long time. There was a lot of like little like natter on there about crypto constantly. I knew and i know that with the way crypto works it doesn't just continuously go up in value it has these bear markets these periods where it goes down in value and everybody forgets about it for a while or at least it always had done historically so i was very careful to not make the content totally focused on crypto i think so i think on my podcast right very much that was how dennis invest started like crypto and all of that right um if you look at the content, like the podcast, which was the main piece of content and still is the main piece of content, back then it was probably the only piece of content that we did. Now we've expanded a little bit. If you look at the podcast episodes, I only think I've out of 127 episodes as of, what's today's date? The 21st of March, 2023, four, four to five of them are on crypto. And the reason I did that was because I was like, if I make this all about crypto, then whenever that down period comes along, the business will be so the, the 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 group will be so entwined with that that it's people won't understand that there's more to it because there is way more to finance, right? So anyway, that's what happened. I always had one eye on the bear market. I had one eye on the bull market and one eye on the bear market when I made the group. Are you with me? The bull market being the exciting part, the the part where it goes wacky and it goes up in value. The bear market being the part where crypto looks like it's going to fail. And we get people saying things like, well, it was all a scam anyway in the first place. That happens every single time. Will it recover? I don't know. Check out check out bitcoinobituaries.com. Okay. Have you ever heard of it? Bitcoin. No. Bitcoin obituaries, right? What Bitcoin obituaries does is it logs on a timeline Every single time a major news outlet says Bitcoin is dead, okay, and it shows the price of Bitcoin alongside it, okay, right? And obviously you can imagine it goes up and there's all of a sudden, there's a sudden scantness in how many times people are proclaiming Bitcoin is dead. And it goes down and it's like, everybody's like, Bitcoin is dead, Bitcoin is dead. And it goes back up again. And it just follows this peaks and troughs of hysteria and emotional turmoil. It literally follows it so perfect. So how, how have you turned your love of crypto, love of finance into a business? So, 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 so going along that journey, we graduated, we, we did dentistry, we've hurt our knee, we've gone into lockdown. Mm-hmm. So we, we've entered COVID years, which is probably, you know, a scary time for most people, mm-hmm. for a lot of people. You then created the group. Groups now how many members? 9.7 thousand as of today. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> And, and it's growing and it's, gro- it's growing consistently. So, you know, lo- long way that continues. So how have you now, so we've got the podcast, we've got the group. 
how have you now turned that into a business? So, so you, you, you've got your passion um, for, for what you're doing. And it's sort of altruistic reasons. It reasons is nobody really tells you any of this stuff. Starting from sort of an anecdotal perspective, I remember being in my early twenties, earning pretty decent money, and everyone saying you should invest your money, you should invest your money, you should invest your money. I had no idea what that meant. Like, how do you invest your money? And I remember, I remember this being like probably 20, 2012, 2013. Someone was like, you need to buy Bitcoin. I'm like, fine, I'll go buy a hundred Bitcoin, a uh, hundred pound of Bitcoin. Oh, hundred bit holy moly, hundred Bitcoin. Oh, pounds of Bitcoin in 2012. And I went, I went to go buy it. And I was like, I don't even know how to do it. So I just forgot about it. You know, everyone's got a story like that. Everyone's yeah, got a story. Yeah, like yeah. That. Everyone's got, you know, I could have bought, you know, I probably would have sold it the following week when I made 110 quid. But, um, I, but that was the thing. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know. I didn't know what a trading platform was. I didn't know. I didn't know. I, I, I always thought if I want to invest, I've got to go find a stockbroker. I've got to pay a stockbroker to do, to, to, to invest in stocks for me. Now I don't understand sort of leverage trades or anything like that. And that, a lot of that's from an ethical perspective, religious perspective, and, and sort of an educational perspective. I don't really understand it. So I don't, I don't really get involved in things I don't fully understand. So how have you turned all of that into a business? Cool, great question. So the important thing to remember is that I had no idea that I'd even made something that could potentially be a business at the start. I just made a Facebook group and I always wanted to post content and create content. That was always me and my personality, so to speak. That was always something that appealed to me. I just never had the opportunity to do it until this hiatus came along, which happens because of my knee surgery. So I never intended it to be a business, but looking back on it and knowing what I know now and listening to the content that I do now, I realized that I was actually step-by-step undertaking a lot of the necessities that are required in order to create one. I just had no idea that I was doing it, right? Very first thing to do is just create a shit ton of goodwill, okay? Yes. Oh, so God. Alex Homozzi says it very well. It's content, content, content. We're in, we're in the information generation now that says, if you're not providing value, if you're not providing uh, information, who's the other guy? Uh, Gary V says this, I'm not a big fan of, but we'll, go, we'll leave that one. Uh, but it's the same thing. It's content, content, content. And you've, I wouldn't say accidentally, I'm sure there's a thought process behind it, but you've done that. You've, you created content, which is your podcast, and you created a platform in which people can discuss that content. And give you social proof. So social proof legitimizes everything you're talking about, and then gives you content to create other podcasts. Because if people are asking the same question, then you just turn that into a podcast. And then you've, you've got a nice cycle there that says people are talking about this, turn it into a podcast, people talk about that podcast, give you more ideas. And it just keeps feeding the loop. Well, yeah, listen, it's creating goodwill. Content is the easiest way to do that in 2023. Well, here's the thing. You, you, if you walk down the street and you give someone a box of chocolates, you've just made someone goodwill. The problem is, yes. not the problem, but the, the reason why that's not scalable is because it takes a lot of time and a lot of money and you have to do it constantly, right? Whereas the beautiful thing about content is it's that much less effort you to make a video that will help people and it's also massively scalable because of followings, right? So it's an easy way to scale the concept of creating goodwill. And by the way, you know, human beings have not changed in hundreds of thousands of years. These are just new ways that we can... We can no, I don't want to say, mm, what's a good What's a good word? The, we, these are new ways that we can utilize this psychological phenomenon. There's a great way of putting it. Are you with me? Because here's the, that's, that's literally what content is. You're giving a gift as a value post, right? right? And here's the thing. You just talked about Gary Vee. I hadn't listened to Gary Vee in like two years, and I listened to him today because I was like, he surely changed a lot of the stuff that he says by now because the reason I stopped listening to him is because he got so repetitive, right? Which is fine. If you listen to me for three weeks, you probably get, I'd probably get very repetitive too. That's okay. That's, that's totally okay, right? Came back to him after two years today and I actually learned a ton of stuff from this podcast that I was listening to. So he has mixed things up. Things have moved along. I've, I've fallen in and out of love with lots of people in the meantime. Podcasts are such a flipping bank of information it's unbelievable that if if we don't listen to podcasts please i implore you to make it a regular habit anyway back to what we were saying just a second ago so very first step in any business is to create so much goodwill gary v has a saying that you just said that i think you just said and it's give 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 ask right actually there's another adaptation of that saying which 
further further exemplifies its power or gives you another window into understanding how human psychology works which is that we feel indebted to someone when we give them a lot of stuff and we just want to give them something back and of course when we want to give something somebody back one of the ways we can do that is money and we can buy their course or whatever it is that we want to do or participate in some sort of paid venture with them go to their event whatever so here's the thing right give 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 ask is one philosophy i would actually go one better it's actually give 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 then get okay because people will literally just give you things because they're like i'm just gonna i want this i want to give this to you because i love your content so much and i just want to help you because i really like i get that all the time so i get so like most of our business comes from referrals and it comes from the social media that says we've learned more of your content than we have from our current accountants how can we work together so the conversation is no longer me pitching use us use us use us it the conversation then turns into how can we work together? Now, we don't work with everyone that wants to use our services, but that's because we offer a very specific service. But the conversation then turns because I've been giving for three years. I've been giving content. I've been giving information. We do free webinars. We do reels. We do TikToks. We do podcasts. All this inform- all this stuff is taxing. All of this stuff takes time, takes knowledge, takes research. The cost behind producing all of that costs me money. But I'm conscious of the fact that if I give it out, there's a lot of goodwill in the ether. Now, if we talk about goodwill as a concept, as it's a business product, let's talk business. Goodwill is the intangible nature to your business. Now, goodwill, like you said, is what does it cost me to access that market, that demographic? So if you if 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 your business is, let's say you've got a hundred thousand pounds worth of stock and machinery and you sell your business for a hundred thousand pounds, you've got no goodwill in your business because that you've sold it for the assets. So the assets are worth a hundred thousand pounds. You've sold it for a hundred thousand pounds. But if you've got, but if I sell my business for 200,000 pounds, that difference between what the assets are worth and what I'm selling it for is classed as goodwill. Now that goodwill is based on a number of factors, is my standing within my community, the strength of my brand, the strength of my marketing, the strength of, if if, if you were to open up your business with the same hundred thousand pounds worth of machinery, would you have the same result as me? No because I, I've been doing it for longer. I've got, I've got the staff, I've got all these intangible bits that make my business my business. So that, that bit that you pay between what, 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 what it's physically worth on paper up here, that's goodwill. I love that. So the, the, the system is worth more than some of its parts is another way of Correct. saying that, right? So, exactly that. Yeah, so this is the thing, right? So I actually, I feel that we oftentimes in business forget that ultimately we're serving people so when we get people then actually business is just an extension of that right that that's literally it okay and we make it too complicated sometimes we're serving people right if you give someone a lot of goodwill that is the first step every single time in my opinion to start a business right how you do that there's lots of different ways to do that like say say if you're creating a service for someone right and you just want to get it off the ground right what you might do is just pick 10 people and help them for free for a little bit right then if they if that service is really valuable to them then eventually with time you might say something along the lines of well you know what time is a limited factor now i'm happy to do this for you is it okay if there was to be something coming back the other way saying i'm giving you all this value and if you really are giving them a ton of value they'll appreciate that and they'll happily pay for that and the reason is what person wouldn't give you some money when whatever you're doing for them makes them more back? It's only fair. That's that's society. Like that's that is, un, it would be unfair otherwise, right? Not only is that fair, it would be totally unfair to continue in that relationship. No one could reasonably expect that, right? So what have you just created? You've created a business, but it all started with you giving. Giving is the fundamental thing that builds goodwill. However you give, yeah. that's up to you. That's the part we've got to figure out, right? And I just want to say one more thing on the goodwill side of business. Anybody out there who has a skill or who has something that they're good at or even a body of knowledge, right? Here's the best bit. When you're giving away all this knowledge, you're actually having fun because it's nice to give, right? It is, yeah. And then people will literally tell you, because you started giving that content away, people will literally tell you what hits and what doesn't in terms of your content. They will literally DM you and say, hey, I like that part, right? Or you'll get loads of likes on a particular post, right? Now you know that that was particularly valuable. So now you know that that's the most likely thing to have monetary value, to have 
something that to be to be something that you could wrap a business around, right? But it doesn't start unless you begin. And that's the biggest thing that holds people back, right? They spend I feel like lots of people spend so much time thinking about what path they're gonna go down. It would be better just to pick a path and go down it and then use the learnings to calibrate that path. Yes, it's paralysis by analysis, isn't it? There's like, you think about a business venture and you think, I want to do this. And you think of every step along the way and then you end up up here and you're so focused up here that no, nobody nobody who's successful in business starts there or rarely does it happen. You start here and then you, you take your steps, you take your steps, you take your steps, you take your steps. And then on reflection, you look back and you think, how the hell did I get here? And But, but you've learned along the way. Now, if, if you're looking to be spoon fed and you're looking for someone to do the journey for you, then at some point you've just got to take it on the chain and you haven't got the entrepreneurial mouse. You haven't. But if you're, if you're wishing to learn, you're wishing to do things, don't get paralyzed by the steps. I started my entire business with a mobile phone. That, that, that's how I started my business, yep. mobile Fine. I, I've got experience in what I do, but that, you know, I could have just stayed employed. But that's not that's not what I wanted. It's not why I became an accountant. And I, I had no desire. So my my goal when becoming an accountant was to have my own practice. Didn't know how I was going to do it. Didn't know why I was going to do it. Didn't know who was going to who was going to service. But I had an idea, and that's what I wanted to do. So when the time came, it was about well, I think there's a gap. I, I look at um, my wife's a dentist. No one really tells them anything. So I'm going to try and tell them stuff. And then you know, th there's there's loads of garbage that you see on TikTok on Instagram of the, you know, this is how you can go buy a G wagon and pay no tax. It's bollocks. It, it does not work. And, and it, it, it's, su it's such cruddy advice. And then you hear some of the stuff like you can claim this is business expense. No, you can't. This is how, this is how you can avoid paying tax. That's how you get to prison. And you think that no, it, it's, it's ridiculous advice from people who have, who, who have no legal recourse from saying the stuff they do. Now, if I put that stuff out there, even things like limited companies, James, you wouldn't believe I'm not allowed to say, I'm not allowed to promote limited companies. I'm not allowed really? to say, James, you should be operated by a limited company. If I do, my personal assets are at risk. Whoa. I, I, not my business, they can come after me personally, which is why I never say, this is why you should be, this, this is why you should, you should be operated by a limited company. I will say, these are your pros and cons. This is what this is for. This is against. This is the balance of opinion. My goal is to educate you that says, these are the variables that you need to know. As long as I can demonstrate the variables, you're, you're, you're all very intelligent people because you, you run businesses. Now, now you're in a position to make a decision. If that decision isn't the right thing for you today, at least you now understand the variables. So that's how I set off. And there's a couple of things that have happened along that journey is, you know, um, I put a VAT post out and Sheila, she, Sheila resonated because it was something Sheila was thinking about at the time it was VAT and aesthetics. We did an Instagram live that led to an influx of business uh, that led to people, you know, learning about who we were. And then clients came on board, didn't really do anything on Facebook. They then uh, one of my clients, uh, Faizan, shout out Faizan, he, he then said, get in touch with James. So instead of oh, jumping cool. on your group and started spamming your group, I, I, I went to James and said, James, can I, I, it was a courteous thing to do. It's like, I'm talking on someone's platform here. I don't want to just burn, jump into someone's house and start shouting the loudest. So I was like, James, this is what I'm about. This is, this is who I am. We had a chat. I said, look, I'm not going to pitch because it's not what I do. I would just like to clarify some of these things because I'm, I'm quite frustrated by some of the comments you see by other dentists that say, you shouldn't be operating by a limited company unless you, unless you make 200K, unless you make 150K. Unless, the number's arbitrary. The number makes no no relevance. If you make this much and you need this much, then it might be a good idea. If you make this much and you need this much, it's never a good idea. So that, that's the simplest way to put it. That says, and but you see it like, you know, oh, oh, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. I don't get account, I don't get dental advice from other accountants. So please don't get accounting advice from other dentists. Um, so, but, but, but what you can see is the social, the, the, it, it's sort of anecdotal stuff is really useful. And that's what your group is really, really powerful for is someone will ask a question and someone will say, in my experience, this is what I, what I found. And you think, no, that's great because that then leads someone down a path of education. Not, not someone says, this is what you should do. Well, yes, but, but, but every scenario isn't the same. It's like me going on any forum and saying, I've got toothache and someone says, you need a root canal, you need an extraction, not from dentists. So I might need those things, but unless I've had an x-ray and someone, someone professionally get, have a look in there, then you've got to get to, you've got, you've got to, get to the root cause of what, what, what it is you're trying to get to. So, you know, the group is fantastic. Awesome. And you know what? You know what I like about you? I can feel the passion through the screen, bro. Okay. <laughs> I can feel the passion and that's amazing. Yeah. Because that's who I want doing my flipping books. That's who I want providing a service for me, whatever that service is, someone who's passionate about their service. So that's cool. So yeah, I love that, dude. And like I say, if I could, if I could, 
if I could go back and tell myself one thing, or if I could share one piece of wisdom with everybody who wants to start a business, I would just, I would literally say that one thing. I would say, build goodwill. Remember, it's fun to do that. So actually, no matter what comes of it, you've had a good time and you've learned some skills along the way, things which will actually complement whatever it is that you normally do, because content has a place in virtually every profession. Have some fun. And if you build enough of it, right, remember it compounds. Have compounding vehicles in your life. Followings compound, podcasts compound, lots of things compound. Compounding is the one way that we'll attain wealth. Money is not the only thing that compounds. So many things compound. We have to open the door. We have to put the keys in the ignition of the vehicle first. And remember at the start, it's slow. But when it becomes exponential, that is how you will really generate. Excuse me. That is how you really generate wealth and generate a business. Boom. So... We're getting to the. We're getting close to the end of this now. What I'm interested in, James, is transferable skills. Yeah. So, the skills that you've learned along your journey. So, the skills you learned at university, uh, doing dentistry. How have they transferred to what you do now? Great question. So here is here is one. So a lot of what I do nowadays, because of the business mentors that I've had that approached me since I started dentistry invest, and said, "Hey, you know, you you could you've made something here that could really be something that could help other people and." you could wrap that around a business. Obviously when you help someone that has value and then that becomes a business, right? So one of the things that I learned through those people was, oh, so not, maybe not learn is the wrong word, enhanced a great deal because I already had this skill, but enhanced it a great deal was the ability to sell. Again, that's one of the key things that you need in a, biz- in a business. Three skills that you need, okay? There's three parts to every business, but there's three skills that you need in business, right? You need to be able to build You need to have that mental fortitude to be able to shut everything else out and be focused as in build. You need to be able to lead because at some point people are going to come to you. And even if, and when I say people are going to come to you, what I mean is people are going to come to you and work with you and for you. So you have to be able to be the person who sits at the top and guides that process. And as well as that, there's a lot of human interactions that occur through running a business anyway. So you need to be the person who is carving the sculpture of yourself, not letting that sculpture be carved by other people, as in you're the leader, you grab the chisel, not let anybody else control it, or at least as minimum as possible. Third skill is to sell, because your product can be amazing, but even if your product is so good that word of mouth is your main marketing tool, you're going to have to sell to someone at some point so that you can get them into that first cohort for your product so that they can sample it and then be the word of mouth. So you have to you have to be able to sell to some degree. And I, I want to I want to take selling is such a dirty word. I feel right. You know, in capitalism, right? You know what we do. And I know you I, you wanted to say something there, and that's fine, right? And I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna say something about selling, right? Think about it. What happens at the end of capitalism? Two people shake hands, right? Because they're gonna help each other. It's a deal, right? So when you sell. It's when you know that you can help someone and you're just allowing them to see the value. You don't have yeah. to. I don't think, think selling is a dirty word. I think selling is the culmination of transferring a value. That says, if I've demonstrated value to you, I can't make you buy anything. I can't make you give me your money. But if I demonstrate value, because the thing I sell is advocacy. I, as an accountant, I don't sell tax returns. I don't sell tax, tax avoidance schemes. We'll do that all really well. The bit that I actually sell is advocacy that says, we will teach you everything you need to know. We will be that that guiding arm around you that walks you through this process, which is why I don't sell you and why we don't do financial advice. We don't get involved in that kind of thing because I can't do advocacy and sell you stuff, sell you financial products at the same time. So selling, I'm, I'm really easy to sell to, but I'm really easy to switch off. So restaurants, if they take care of my kids, you will have my custom for the rest of your life. Honestly. Honestly, if you, if, if you show that, that Novikov in London, fantastic restaurant, we've been there, quite a few times service has been 10 out of 10 every single time there were two restaurants got italian and and a pan-asian fantastic italian we went the um head the the host came over took my son out of the high chair took him over to the christmas tree got him got him to take a present out now i'm muslim i don't celebrate christmas but that 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 little thing there has stuck in my mind and my son's now six and that happened when he was under one and that that is vivid in my mind that says whenever i'm there i associate that 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 brand with that experience like that their asian side so um, they've got their own garden and they saw they, they put these like vegetables in front of you my, my son's really good with vegetables 
um, they saw he was eating a very a specific type of vegetable, so they went and got him some more of that type of vegetable. And that someone paid attention to that. Someone looked and said, that's what that kid enjoys. We're going to go bring it for him. They didn't bring it for everyone else. They bought it for him. And I thought, you've got me for life. You've got me for life at this point. That says, I, I don't really care about anything now. So whenever we go, we, just, we ask for recommendations because I trust them so much that I, I'm not really focused on the bill. When I want to impress, like I took my brother, my brother and his wife out you know, as a you know, newly wed, uh, wedding gift thing. And you know, the bill came, it was, it was a big bill, but they delivered and you know, they absolutely nailed it. The food was fantastic. Same with, same with like selling to me. But if I, go into, if I go into Curry's and buy a TV, I'll tell you what I want. If, if, you, if you can meet that criteria, I'll buy it off you. It's easy. But if you start veering off here, there, everywhere, you'll switch me off. Once I'm switched off, that's it. It's game over at that point. Because you've not listened to me. You said something very important because, and this is the thing, because isn't it true, right, that when we say the S word selling, that people think slick rick car salesman, right? But actually, that's precisely going to be the thing that turns people off to you, to use your words, right? So actually, really, it's a lot broader than that, right? Best way I can put it is when you use when you sell to someone what you do is you allow them to see the value of what you can do and how it will help them right and here's the thing you know do you do you do that for every person that you meet no because the shoe has to fit you have to be able to believe that you're going to get the results as well and there's great power in that there's great power in that so anyway how do we get on to that what was the question that you asked me and then i said build transferable skills tra- transferable skills right that's how we got on to that so a lot of what i do nowadays is help dentists with that, help dentists increase their revenue as an associate, as a principal, day-to-day through allowing them how they can understand to describe the value of what they're giving patients to a much higher standard because that's what selling is. Then that means that that person, that patient, is now in a more informed position to be able to decide whether or not they want to work with you, right? But you're just using words and language that they can understand. So what that means is that they're able to greater see what you can see and therefore make a better decision. And when they can greater see what you can see, then they probably will work with you. They probably are more likely to work with you because they can understand that if they don't do something, if you don't fix their teeth, they're going to have pain and problems. That's how dentistry works, right? The better we are at describing that and getting that message across, actually people want our services more. How do we do that? That's the selling process. Take sell it, take, take the take the naughtiness out of selling, if there is any. And I don't think that either, Bilal. Right. If there is anybody who has that connotation, that's not what it is. It's a word that is misrepresented. You can, sell, you, you can sell ethically. So you can sell ethically. If you can identify a need and you've explained the, the, the options to the patient, if they choose to have an NHS filling or a private filling, then that choice is theirs. But you've given them that choice. If you don't give them the choice and you only tell them there's a private uh, white filling, then that's not ethical, is it? Because you've not given them the choice. But if you give them the choice that says, you can have this one for free. This one's a hundred quid. This one's visible every time you open your mouth. This one's a bit blended. And someone will say, for the sake of a hundred quid, I'd rather people didn't see it and then go that way. But if you give people the option, then at least you've given them the option. And again, one of the anecdotes I use quite famously now is when I was 16, I had an extraction. So I had a, I had a toothache, went to the dentist because I was 16, didn't need a chaperone. The dentist said, you need a root canal. No idea what a root canal is. So he did a root canal, put my faith in the dentist, still in pain, went back. He said the root canal didn't work, didn't take, didn't know what it was, said you need an extraction. So now I'm like for 21 years, I've now had a gap in, in my in my in my jaw that I could have had an implant. I could have had something else that I didn't know I had. Now, if he had said, This is what it is and this is what it'll cost, I'd have gone back to my parents and said, This is, you know, th- th- this is this is what I want, and they would have they, they would have been done privately. But I don't know what my options were. I still don't know. I don't I haven't really sort of gone down that path well enough. But I could just ask my wife really. But hmm. that that's my point is, is is if you're not being not presented your options in an ethical way, how do you know what you can say yes or no to? And that's what you're. That's what you're now espousing. So you're you, you've built a platform. You, you've you've got the social proof. You, you've given out all this value, and you're now taking all of that and building on things you love and teaching now people how to sell and how to. There's another way to look at things. And going back to what we said right at the start was, you became a dentist because your cousin was a dentist, and that's 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 the room. That's your sphere of people that said you should do this because of this. What you're now doing is taking everything you've learned, all the hard miles you've put going back to your colleagues, your peers and saying, not not that not so much there's another way, but there's this whole other bit of the world that no one's really showed you. And that's what you're showing them through your podcast and through through your various 
uh, various endeavors. Pretty much, bro. And the reason that I learned about this stuff was because I went on this voyage into uncharted territory. And here's the thing about uncharted territory. You may go there, but most of us don't. Most of us stick to a predetermined path or certainly a path that people have been on to a degree anyway, which is fine, right? And here's the thing. There's a merit in that in itself because you know that there's a reason why that predetermined path exists. And that's because it's valuable and it will get you to a certain point. That's okay, right? Whereas when we voyage off into the unknown, we may find stuff that's useful. Chances are we won't, right? But actually, some of the stuff that's out here in the unknown can be extra valuable because people have yet to talk about it. People have yet to incorporate it into your specific field. And that's basically what I found when I started reading books on finance. But you can only you can only get the gifts you're ready to receive. So everyone exactly. can go on their voyage of discovery. Exactly. If you're not ready for that discovery, then you're just voyaging until you find something. So, you know, you, you've got to be, you've got to be ready to receive as well. So, you know, you, you, you've got, you've got to be ready to, to learn and, and, and take on that information. So James, so let, let, let's, let's sort of wrap this up in a neat little bow. So what are your top three tips for financial freedom? Oh my God, love this. this. I didn't see this coming, but this is a great question. Yeah, okay, let's look at this. <laughs> this. This is straight from the hip. Okay, so this is totally, totally ad lib because yeah, I've, I didn't know you were going to ask us, which is great. Okay, so here's what I would say. I would say top three tips. I would say that first of all, have some, begin to understand how money works. In fact, that's the very most important one, right? Because when you understand how money works and you understand that ultimately it's just made up and printed at someone's will, then you'll also understand that lots of the things that we think about money by extension can't be true either because it is an imaginary thing, right? So how can every any conclusion that you draw about an imaginary thing be anything but imaginary as well? Deep. There's more to that. <laughs> and that's probably a podcast in itself, right? Anyway, that's the first one. I think that's the springboard to everything else, right? Second one I would say is, I would say don't follow the crowd if it doesn't feel 100% authentically you. And what do I mean by that? A lot of people fall into this path where they feel like they have to work nine to five in their job contribute to their ISA or their pension and just steadily build up this pension pot and one day retire, right? At 65. Now that's fine if you love your job. If you're like nine or 10 out of 10, love, you know, you, you know, in terms of fulfillment from dentistry, I was, for reference, remember when I said I was eight out of 10 at the start, if you're like nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 in terms of how happy it makes you, then that's great because you're doing the thing you love and you just so happen to be making money, right? If you think about it, right? You just so happen to be gaining financially from doing something that you would otherwise be doing anyway because you love it so much, right? If it gives you that level of fulfillment. So here's the thing. If you love dentistry that much and you want to proceed down that path where you're contributing your eyes, so you're sipping your pension or whatever and all these things and this money's building up and then you hit like 55, 65 and then you retire, that's fine because you loved, you enjoyed every moment. But what lots of people do is they compromise in terms of their happiness. They do something which isn't that fun or they don't enjoy that much for their whole life because they feel like they have to or they feel like that's the only way that they can retire. Actually, there's many different ways to retire, okay? There's only really one or two that your financial advisor tell you about. Actually, there's way more, right? It comes from reading and understanding finance. That is my second one. My second one is don't follow the crowd unless you feel happy and content, right? That's the main thing. So pursue happiness make a president over happiness, right? Make make happiness your president before everything else, right? And that sounds so wishy-washy and woo-woo. People chuck that around, but it's so true. I agree with it. So so my practice is built around my kids because my, 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 my family brings me unbridled happiness. Is cool. Uh, you know, being able to do the school run, being able to be at every parent's evening, being able to, to be at, you know, be, being the first one at the gate to pick him up. Uh, pick and boat up, and then when the little one goes, I want to be. I want to be there. Now that brings me unquantifiable happiness. Great. Now, but but happiness doesn't. It, it it's what my business allows me to do is what makes me happy. Good. Were you finished just then? Because I got excited. I was going to say something. Yeah. I, and here's the thing about having a business, right? You. Someone said this to me once. They were like, "Listen, you call the shots whenever it's your business. Pick." Decide what your optimum life looks like and then design your business around it, not the other way around, right? Whereas when we are 
working for someone else, we often don't have that level of freedom, right? But that well, fine. We're, we're funding their happiness. We're funding their happiness. Well, this is it. You're either building your own dream or you're building someone else's. If you think about it, it's literally one or the other, right? Now, here's the thing. That might be the life for you, but just be aware that there's this whole other dimension of possibilities out there. And it all starts, I feel, with creating your own business. In fact, I'm going to make that the third one right there. Understand that there's more to life than the nine to five steady eddy philosophy where we continued on that path of investing, et cetera, using the advice that potentially a financial advisor would give us because it tends to be that very routine approach. Just understand that there's more alternatives out there. So to summarize, understand what money is, do what makes you happy. And three, understand that there's more to meet the, meets more than what meets the eye whenever it comes to finance, particularly the narrative that is ascribed by professionals in the industry. Perfect. Love it, James. So thank you very much. Um, Where can people find you, James? People can find me on dentistwhoinvest.com where you can find my contact details. If you are a Facebook user, feel free to type in dentistwhoinvest to the search bar. You'll be able to find the group, the community, the hub where it all began. I'm also on Instagram as well. Feel free to follow me on there. The main bulk of the activity is on Facebook. Facebook is where we originated is where we began it's always got a special place in my heart so i do tend to lean towards putting more content out in there because of that because of my own proclivities i'm working on it i'm working on it but it's been three years work in progress and it still hasn't changed so i don't know maybe when someone listens to this podcast in 2025 26 that may be different for the moment it's definitely on there where the main community is perfect james now it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and Hope we can do this again. Thank you very much. See you soon.